Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Professor CJ from the Dangerous History Podcast, and you're listening to The Eastern Border. An old man living in the USSR in its latter days lines up for hours to buy some meat, only to find out that there's none left. He goes into a rage, screaming about how horrible and stupid communism is. A KGB agent walks up to him and tells him to calm down, and says, You know, not too many years ago, you'd have been shot for saying that. The old man goes back to his apartment, and his wife asks, Are they out of meat? He replies, It's worse than you think. They're out of bullets, too. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to Eastern Border. And this time, we're going to be talking about drugs. All sorts of drugs, and kind of comparing and contrasting them to what's happening in Canada. Canada shall be representing kind of the West Coast in a way, too. But I'll be talking about how it was in Afghanistan, well, the Afghanistan war, that is, and the Soviet Army as well. And with me here to talk about this is Matt from Nooks and Crattys. Hello there. Introduce yourself, please. <laughs> Introduce yourself. Um, hi, uh, I'm Matt Sanderson, uh, co-host of Nooks and Crannies. Uh, Nooks and Crannies is the most random podcast on the internet. Uh, it's a weekly show that has topics that range from beer reviews to podcast reviews, the occasional interview on topics like Florida gun control laws, and ways to cook more nutritiously, and even how to be a better parent. No, we're talking about drugs, and you're talking about how to be a better parent. Yeah, them. yeah, I don't know. It's a little conflicting. It's a pretty random show, Nooks and Crannies. So I would just recommend hitting subscribe. Uh, type that in to however you find your podcast, and uh, I can promise you that no two episodes are alike. These guys, by the way, are from Victoria Island, and I've been there, and Victoria Island is amazing. Victoria itself is also amazing, uh, just very different from anything else. But uh, like I mentioned before, Canada sometimes feels like a European country, just on another continent, while the United States is uh, way different. It's just its own thing. <laughs> it is its own thing completely. Do you feel like it's its own thing, like you Canadians? Do you think that uh, that we are like a small European country? Like, that is how we feel. Like, we have a huge landmass, so that's one big difference. But we have a small population, and we're only like 33, 35 million. So we feel like, kind of like uh, Belgium, 
or something like this, I think. And we get that from Americans all the time. The few Americans who have actually traveled outside their borders to Europe, they come back and say Canadians are like Europeans. Yeah, definitely. A lot. I was told that I'm, I'm, I must now recommend my listeners to check out the friendly lefty Canadians over nooks and crannies. Yeah, please do that. And uh, <laughs> someone named Keith sent me. Who the fuck's Keith? Uh, I hope he uh, survives <laughs> winter. We shall find Keith. Uh, Comrade Igor is already on this and he's... He will have to make his way back from the uranium mines, but what can you do? <laughs> it's almost like when somebody hears that you're Latvian, but they're probably like, oh, I know this guy. Uh, I think he's Russian. His name's Nikolai. Do you know him? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that. So they always get like, hey, do you know? I know this guy, Keith. I used to work with him. He, uh, I think he's from Canada. Uh, do you know him? Yeah. <laughs> Americans are, they mean well, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Most of my audience is from the United States, but yeah, you guys have a lot of, of dissimilarities between you and Canada. Yeah. Especially the love for Trailer Park Boys. Oh, that. Uh, I'm a massive fan. I can now explain how a Russian crime scene worked in the 90s just by using Trailer Park Boys analogies, because Trailer Park Boys is amazing. <laughs> if you haven't watched it, do so. Yeah, I highly recommend Trailer Park Boys. It'll tell you a lot about Canada, anthropologically speaking. Like, you'll learn a lot about Canadian culture just by watching Trailer Park Boys boys and like three ends of curling that's all you need to know oh i like curling here too by the way curling is awesome curling is awesome it's a great um alternative in the winter to beer league like slow pitch uh, teams go try to find a curling rink and uh, chuck a few stones with some buddies it's a sport quote unquote that you can play drinking a beer so i imagine it should be a lot bigger in latvia than it actually is well it, it is pretty pretty big here we we like it so uh, the thing that I want to talk about is um, drug policies since I spent quite a lot of time in Canada and I noticed that you guys are like super open and, and everything's kind of happy and nice for you but over here we're still very conservative about all the situation and for us at least it comes from mostly the sacrifices of World War one when even though people like to idealize our interwar period but, at the same time, people are, well, they don't like to admit that it consisted of a lot of morphine addiction. And people who went to Afghanistan war, they also smoked a lot of opiates. And if you were serving in the Soviet army and they sent you next to the Chinese border, near Baikal region, then you probably smoked weed all the time, just because, you know, your army rations did not include cigarettes, so you just, you know, smuggled in some weed from the local Chinese people, but at the same time it was viewed as something dirty, something like extremely criminal. So that has remained here with our post-Soviet thinking that we make rude jokes and we have a strange sense of humor, but our attitude towards any sorts of drugs is extremely conservative. Even though, yeah, I got a kind of a message that I posted a meme on, on my social media stating that, you know, tits are temporary, glory of Rome is forever. You know, j just for fun. And it was like some sort of picture of a sexy thought chick who's a cam girl or something, whatever. And uh, the Roman emperor standing in front of her and saying, look into my eyes, follow Rome. And I was like, hey, that's funny. Because I had been just like playing that game. And then, then I got an like, angry message telling me that I'm sexist and evil. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't feel like it at all. Because it was a joke about ancient Rome. But in a similar way, uh, we also view these drugs in general. Because people are very socially acceptable of alcohol yeah. here. Way more than in yeah. Canada. But drugs are something bad. Like, I stay with my buddy Leon. And he would get drunk super easily. Like he just drinks like three of your beers. 
which is like nothing for us Latvians. That's barely one Latvian beer, by the way, because you sell them in way smaller cans and bottles. <laughs> okay, easy, easy, easy. I, you, you. Okay, yeah, we've had a little bit of a conversation about this, but we'll just shelve that. We don't need to get into a metric conversation right now. There are some of your beers that are 473 milligrams, but your standard beer, if you want to... Milliliters? Dude, you don't even know the metric system. What? Ah, come on, man. I don't know your filthy (laughs) pints, but your beer is standardly 0.350 milliliters. At least I drank, I drank Keefs, okay? Keith's came in those little nice cans and uh, those sort of sized cans. Dude, who was giving you Keith's? The guy I was staying with. It was pretty cool. It was very default. Oh, bad Canadian. You know what? Keith's is okay as like um like on a Wednesday or something. Um, and that's who I was drinking. Yeah, yeah, the standard can of Keith's is three fifty five. The only thing the cans are used for that is like for Coca Cola. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. over here, like drinking a lot of beer is super common in everyday like place and whatnot. But people are very afraid of all sorts of anything, weed or anything. But that's mostly the older generation, too. But I'm just wondering, even though a lot of people used it in the Soviet era, even though it was sort of normalized, I don't know, how did weed get legalized in Canada then? Okay, so that's a whole different thing, and we'll get to that. But I'm interested in this Soviet era process. So there's a lot to unpack there, but so I studied anthropology all the way up into the graduate level, the PhD level. So what's jumping out here is what we would call a moralizing process, right? Oh my right? God, he's, <laughs> this person's actually made through his PhD. We respect you, good sir. <laughs> no, 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 no. Halfway through the PhD, dude. I, Halfway through a PhD. Yeah, then we respect you even more. Bro, I just stuck around. I just stuck around for a long time. Like They tried to get rid of me, but I just wouldn't leave. You are dealing with all the PhD good shit, sir, that... Uh, that is a special drama involved in getting a PhD. Yeah. All right, well, I'll try to dumb it down for you, buddy. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I only have my master's. Yeah. I'll let you go grab your diploma real quick and uh, oh, no, no. Come entertain on. your listeners for you. This is always, like, super funny because, you know, a lot of people think that having a PhD matters insanely, even though that's there if you want to do some real, you know, academical research work. It's just something to put on a resume. It's, it gets your foot in the door for a possibility of getting an academic position. And that's what I was ultimately going for. I was only doing a PhD because I wanted to be a professor. Yeah, but the pain of getting one, however. Oh, man. When I withdrew in May from my PhD, I just spent the rest of the summer playing golf. And it helped. (laughs) It took a lot out of me. (laughs) So anyway, about this, uh, ideas around like drug use and alcohol use in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. I find this fascinating because you're talking about like taboos and stigma. And for someone like me who studied anthropology, these are like, you know, super concepts for us, right? So it's interesting that these taboos and stigmas around substance use uh, go back decades and decades into the Soviet Union era, and they get reinforced over time. And it's not surprising to me that Latvians, for example, would be more conservative around drug use because it seems like if it was being done in the Soviet Union, it was being done primarily, as you say, Chris, by soldiers. And they were probably keeping quiet about it because the penalties for open flagrant drug use in an urban setting in the Soviet Union would probably be pretty severe. And I was thinking about this today is probably around the idea of not being a productive citizen or a productive worker 
any drug user, that is like a very common stigma that is associated with drug use is that non-productivity, right? It is, yeah. And I'm going to look up the Soviet criminal code for now, just, just so I would know this. So you also asked me about Canada. We legalized cannabis in, I think it was last year, in like November or something. Um, but it has been not officially, but sort of decriminalized since, I don't know, like the late 90s. Now, that is only for individuals like myself, some otherwise law-abiding white guy. Um, I'm not going to be thrown in prison for cannabis use, but just like in the United States, and I'm sure a lot of different countries, uh, including in Eastern Europe and Russia, possession or small-time dealing of cannabis was a very convenient excuse to throw young people and especially racialized youth into the criminal justice system into prisons so whether you go to like a federal or provincial prison in canada which may or may not be the case nowadays or you're just you know you got a criminal record now and you're on like some sort of probation you're in the system right and it's a way of criminalizing racialized populations here in canada and it's just like that in the States as well. I'm going to find drug use in the Soviet criminal law, which I have. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have found, like, crimes. Speculation is a crime. Because if you sell drugs, then you are committing speculation for which you can get to get to be sentenced of, um, sentenced up to one year of community service or up to 200 rubles which is about 400 dollars in modern day money um, for for those things so one year of community service that's interesting because uh i imagine being a citizen of the soviet union is kind of like a lifetime of community service huh? well technically but then you know you have to not like it matters that much extra jumping jacks <laughs> i want to find some drug crimes because there are like hooliganism and there's pornography obviously Oh, pornography, by the way, gets you... Oh, yeah, you can go to jail up to a year for pornography. An establishment of a group which does some sort of harm to people's health. Which means that if you and your buddies want to, you know, uh, share weed around, then you can get up to five years in prison. And what was that called? Um, we talked about it before. The Soviet man, the new Soviet man. Yep. That's that idea of like treating the body like a temple so that it could be the utmost level of productivity, right? And it's interesting here how things are associated, like pornography and drug use and deviant behavior, hooliganism, I think you said. All those things get lumped together. So you see this in America in the 20s when Harry Anslinger brought in all the draconian anti-drug laws. And you see that they focused on places like jazz clubs where there was, you know, drinking going on because it was prohibition time. Plus there was like a mixing of different races. African Americans and white people and Latinos would uh, get together in these clubs and party, basically. And then there was also, you know, a little bit of weed being smoked and probably some coke being used. And they would focus in on these sites, right? These sort of cultural locations within the city, these underground locations as sites where, sure, deviant, behaviors are happening, but also potentially anti-political activities are happening as well. And I think that's ultimately what is going on here in the Soviet Union of 
clamping down on drug uses. See, in 1961, in the criminal code that I got, I couldn't find anything specifically anti-drug. See, that's the thing. Like, it seems like in the Soviet Union, they just assumed they didn't exist. It was so repressive. Yeah, it was all like hush, hush and hidden, really. Like, it would have to be, right? Yeah, of course. Because, you know, it's the same way as with the Afghanistan war. Those who died in that war, they just couldn't come back at home. They had to be carried home, and then you couldn't even tell that they were somehow at the war. But with the same with the drugs, probably you would get arrested and, and judged for some other crime. There is a man, there shall be a crime for it, you know, as it goes. It's always fun in the Soviet Union. And that's one of the things that I've wanted to touch about here is that I've mentioned that on my Latvian show, but mm -hmm. I think that our introvertedness and our kind of willingness to accept bad stuff happening to us comes from this idea that if you got reported by your neighbor to the KGB, then you learn to not to trust anyone and you were just talking about political jokes now and then just because to test out whom you could trust because you know someone laughed at those jokes and you know then you could like trust them more i suppose and that is why we are all way more introverted than you are definitely yeah and it's um you can throw around the term like surveillance state but it doesn't really capture that sort of deeper cultural surveillance that's happening you're constantly assessing right it's a panopticon it's more or less a panopticon system of a uh, self-surveillance you know exactly you're afraid of everyone around you because you know that in every factory every workplace everywhere there is this kgb guy who is going to report on you and you don't know who that guy is see that's the issue but about the soviet era well i know uh, for a short i will not mention the author of this study but yeah the fact that serving next to the Chinese border. And then there are like fields of weed, illegal fields of weed, which are way more available. And you know, in the Soviet era, everything gets stolen. So your weekly dose of cigarettes gets stolen away from you. You can't get your smokes. And then you have to pass time somehow. And then those guys would just, you know, buy weed or do some opiates too, now and then. Was serving in an outpost like on the border with China or maybe Afghanistan is, is a war zone, so it's different. But um, in that society, that was a glimmer of freedom, eh? Just being out, way out on the frontier. Yeah. The surveillance is less out there. It just has to be, other than like your superior officers, and if they're dicks or whatever, you can just go behind a hill to like smoke some weed or whatever. <laughs> like they'll never find you. That was a real thing because they were afraid of these people. And like your superior officers, well, they were expected to be decent human beings or otherwise uh, accidents might happen, you know. They happen. Yeah, especially out there. If you're the remote outpost, then you don't expect that, you know, if you do something really bad, then you'll face the full wrath of Jedovshin. But otherwise, no, no, otherwise pretty cool. Then again, the same Soviet army, I mean, the, the first test, the people was that, you know, you're this young recruit, right? And you've been like dragged through a day of hell. And then you're being sent to barracks. And you see a spotless white towel in front of your door. You have to enter the barracks with muddy boots. And, uh, you are afraid of Jedov Shina because you know what that is and whatnot. At the same time, you kind of don't want to break the local rules. So you would naturally jump over this white kind of blanket, completely sterile white, right? That's your mistake because the kind of thing is that if you do that, the local stage, well, we just put a white towel in front of you so that you can, like, you know, brush your feet off. We tried, we made it everything, like, really awesome for you, and you jumped over it, and, you know, you made our floors dirty. And then you would get a massive, massive beating. They, they could give you a massive beating for literally anything. Yeah, well, that's what I wrote down. Like, in that context, it was minor fractions, right? And yeah. if you have 70-odd years 
of that sort of rule and that sort of society imprinting and, and learning off of that, you're definitely going to be passing that on. I mean, the, the Soviet Union only really fell in the late 80s, early 90s. So, of course, there's going to be lingering effects and a more conservative population, especially over these things that used to be very, very, very hush-hush and secret, like uh, cannabis use, or maybe I imagine in the Soviet Union there's a little bit of coke use going on, and especially opiates as well because of China and the Middle East being there. So, But like because it was so hush-hush, now when it's out in the open, especially cannabis use, that must be freaking out anybody who's like middle-aged or older. Yeah, yeah that is exactly what is happening because this is why people are so against it because they literally think that people are going to come to their houses and, you know, break them or something. Yeah, and and it would be somebody you don't even realize snitching on you or something. Yeah. And it's like in America in the 20s, they called it uh, cannabis, the devil's. Uh, weed or something like that and they were promoting the idea that it would make white women like it was very racialized uh so caucasian women going hysterical is an old long-standing trope about women and hysterics but uh, we'll save that and then there was also this belief put out in the 20s by harry anslinger in this now infamous movie uh reefer madness which is available on youtube uh, uh everyone should go check it out it's a fascinating rewatch <laughs> that it would make african-americans more criminal and like more uncontrollable which again is a long-standing racialized trope and discriminatory stereotype against african-american men in particular is that they're physically violent and sexually uncontrollable so you see these long-standing racial ideas i guess being reinforced again and again here in the 20s. That's one of the things that we really haven't experienced here, the fact that, you know, everyone is afraid of everyone all the time, but uh, apparently over there in the States, people are really kind of more racially minded about all the situation. Hey guys, Annette here. Glad to have you with us for another episode of The Eastern Border. As you might know if you follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Discord, our show is growing. If you haven't already, this is the perfect time to join our community, as we will soon be delivering exclusive stories from Ukraine and give you an in-depth analysis of what is going on over there. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by going to our Patreon page on patreon.com slash the eastern border. A big thanks to all of those who are already donating. The show would not be possible without you guys. That's it from me now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Apparently, over there in the States, people are really kind of more racially minded about all the situation. They are, and they're afraid of the idea of the other. Or the fear of the other. It's like in the Soviet context, you should be literally fearful of your neighbors and your co-workers because they could just snitch on you. Here it's like fearing the idea of the racial or the gendered other, right? Yeah, but why? I mean, I, I kind of don't get it. Because of slavery, man. I guess. Because of slavery. It just is. Like that trauma of two to three hundred years of chattel slavery, like even indentured servants as well, like you get the racism around irish and italian uh, peoples because when they came over they were like you had to work for somebody for like 10 years like you had to sign these weird contracts to get your passage over so that's why there's like a lot of racism towards those groups as well and it's no surprise that racialized groups including like italians uh, jews irish as well as african-americans and then especially the latino americans as well they form up into groups themselves like around their own races just for protection so by doing that it kind of reinforces this us versus them sort of mentality if you ask a typical american who grew up somewhere in the middle of the country or whatever and they went to high school with you know african-american students maybe some latino american students ask them if they hung out at parties together and it's very rare that you'll find crossover going to house parties in high school so you see this these ideas being reinforced over and over and over again and that's the process of learning that is fascinating but sad but at the same time i've, I've seen a lot of you guys like being way more open than we are here i mean and here i'm just putting you together with the americans because and aussies too by the way because you guys at least as i've seen have a way more open societies and way more like things in common with each other than you'd expect here. Like, for example, Canadians and Americans have way more in common than, say, Spanish and Portuguese. Maybe, but that's just because they were fighting wars in the Middle Ages and shit. <laughs> like, they still bring up, like, Garnicans, <laughs> the first one. Uh, sort of, yeah, I can see your point. Like, we are similar. I think the, um, honestly, man, it's a bit of a simple answer and it's a bit of a cop-out, but the internet was really big. And also, just in, in terms of, like, realizing that we share a lot more similarities and differences, not just Canadians and Americans, but also like you and I, Chris, I constantly think Canada's like Latvia. We just have more land. We like the same sports. We like our beer. You know, we're chill. Uh, we seem like very similar and we wouldn't have connected if it wasn't the internet. So that's like the obvious answer. I love the internet a lot because yeah, we get called Europe's Canada a lot, by the way, here in Latvia. Exactly. But even like before the internet, like in the 90s, we saw the explosion of cable television, right? So in Canada, 80% plus of our channels have always been American channels. We just have like the CBC and some cable access shit, right? That nobody watches like Rogers Channel 4 that nobody watches. CBC is always on Channel 3. And then the rest is like ABC, NBC, and then Fox, CNN, everything. So we are inundated with American culture in Canada. So we often, I think, spend a lot of time trying to prove to people that we're our own in Canada, our own distinct nation and our own distinct identity. And if you ask a Canadian, what does it mean to be Canadian? We have no idea. Like we don't really have a very strong national identity. We just know we're not Americans. That's the thing. <laughs> 
and we're good at hockey. <laughs> oh, no, I, I got an answer with that because uh, Mr. Leon told me that Canada is like, you know, a, a failed couple who are just staying <laughs> together for the kids, specifically mentioning how you guys stay together with the Quebec people. Oh, whoa, I'm not taking a stand on that one, buddy. <laughs> I don't know, but... Uh, I was told it that way. And also, also like, I, I brought poutine to Latvia because poutine is the most amazing thing ever that you can do with a potato. It's good, yeah. Done. Yeah. Have you ever had a potato skin, like, at a pub? Do you no. guys have that? No. Oh, that's the next. That's going to take it up the next level. It needs gravy, I suppose. After you've had poutine first, you probably think, that needs gravy. It's a little dry. But get it with sour cream. It's basically you bake a potato, uh, take it out of the oven, hollow it out, save the hollowed out part, put it to the side, Rebake the potato skin, mix up the hollowed out stuff with a little bit of sour cream, onions, like bacon bits, whatever, cheese, and then fill the uh, potato skins with that mixture. Bake it with a little bit of cheese on top. Thank me later, buddy. Well, actually, I do, because in some weird reason, Canadian cuisine uh, is so similar to Lafayette. And it's like we have the same things, it's just that you've put them together differently. It's just great. It's all food designed to sop up beer. That's that's going to Canadian cuisine. <laughs> Makes sense. Work for Lafayettes as well. That's why pho or pho, the Vietnamese soup, exploded in Canada because I hadn't tried it yet. Oh, dude, it's the best um, hangover uh, treatment. It's just salted water. That is kefir. Oh. That we often call it Yop here. Uh, it's like the name brand of this like mixture that some kids had in elementary school back in the day. Um, but yeah, it's kefir, yeah. That's our favorite thing for hangover. <laughs> what are we talking about? And kombucha. No, it, I get it. No, like Canada and America, we're very similar. But we, as I said, we like to differentiate ourselves. And that is really, I think, what it means to be Canadian is to just define yourself as non-American. Um, and your buddy Leon there. Uh, he's a perfect example. Another thing that pretty much every Canadian has is some sort of opinion on Quebec. There's also some people believe in separation of Alberta, BC, and like maybe the Yukon away from Canada. And it's like a Western separation movement. There's also some people who believe in that for the maritime provinces on the east coast of Canada that jut out into the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, those four provinces some people want to separate there because they don't think the federal government in ottawa is supporting them well enough and that gets into this whole other thing that is actually very similar to the states uh it's just a different sort of setup but there's this division between the federal government and the state governments in the united states and the federal governments and the provincial governments in canada so that's another interesting thing we are like a married couple that are just staying together for the kids in that sense that the provinces are very tenuously linked together, you know, so it's like this ongoing project of what it means to be a Canadian. Yeah, I know. One thing that really stunned me, and this is less about drugs, but I think I mentioned that before, is that when I went to the Museum of Vancouver, yeah, okay. I saw like these native like statues and native tongue and I can like read phonetics too. So it was like normal for me. And then I noticed that, well, what we have with our own, like, inscriptions and our own runes, which appear in our belts, well, your natives did it with, like, First Nations did it with, mm -hmm. with the tattoos thing. And I was like, hey, I'm white, but I seriously feel way more connected with yeah. your native people than I do with your filthy Anglo-Saxon swine or something. And that's 
Interesting. Canada's a young nation as well. We only became a nation state in like, this is so Canadian. I think it's like 1867. <laughs> I don't even know when we became a nation. That's so funny. Uh, that's very Canadian of me. And the last province, uh, Newfoundland, joined in 1949. Is that why everyone makes fun of the Uh No, it's it's racist, actually. It's uh, about their accent. Uh, their uh, Newfoundlanders are... This is the stereotype, eh? This is obviously not what I think. So it's like, there are black people, white people, Asian people, and Newfies. I'm just kidding. No, they seem like, they're cast, like, stereotypically as, like, old-school Irish or something. They oh, talk, okay. quote-unquote, funny, and they're often considered um, dumb, like, dumber than us. So it's like, they talk funny, and they're dumb, but they know how to have a good time. That is the stereotype, eh? Again, I want to reinforce that. <laughs> also, you said, A, hey, this is the thing. This is the hardest part. Like, we say something similar here, but, like, no one understood that. But, like, in Latvian, it makes perfect sense. Is it ja? Or something? Ja? Or something like that? Ja, vaine, or something like that. The fact that Canadians say, A, it's, like, fine with us Latvians, and I don't know why, why, why a lot of people are making, like, fun of that. It's still better because, you know, Aussies call Americans seppos. Seppos? Seppos. It comes from the word septic. That's what Latvians call Americans? No, that's how Aussies call Americans. Oh, that's, yeah, that's very Australian. See, I feel like Canada has a lot of love for Australia. Canada is, like, wants to be Australian in some ways. Yeah, but you got a lot in common, yeah. Yeah, like, they, they're good times. Ah, they got good accents and stuff. They, they like their beer. Their weather's better. You know, <laughs> like it's that sort of stuff. The weather is better. Yeah. Everything wants to kill you. Canada's amazing. I recently yeah. was my watch The Terror, and that was like really great too, because it involves a lot of Canadian land and whatnot. Oh, where did you go, sorry? The city's called The Terror, which is about the failed expedition. Oh, oh okay, sorry. <laughs> um, no, we have a an area in British Columbia, that's my province, uh, it's where Vancouver Island is, uh, which is where Victoria is, that's called The Interior. And that's where all the wine comes from. Like, they make the most spectacular white wine, and they grow the best fruit you've ever had in your life. Like, my dad is from that region, and his family uh, still owns apple and cherry and peach mm-hmm. and pear orchards in, in that uh, in that area. So, yeah, it's uh, when you come back, we'll take you up there. Nice. If you'll have me, I'll just, you know, come and visit you for a while. Yeah, I know. That's a dangerous thing to say to a Latvian. If you, yeah, come over anytime. It's like, oh, my God, he actually showed up. <laughs> hey, buddy, come on in. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, no. I'll warn you beforehand, and I'll, you know, once they're longer than a week or so. <laughs> it's just like Australians in that way. <laughs> that's what I've been mentioning in the, on, like, my um, Latvian podcast, that, you know, we're not all as different or whatever. And then we kind of moved here from discussion of drugs. But then again, drugs are kind of a litmus test if you want to talk about how liberal your society is and how much freedom are you giving people because it's about how much do you trust your fellow citizens to deal with their own issues, to deal with uh, what they're putting into their own bodies, I think. I think so. And I think it's the in-your-faceness of it as well, like how visible drug use is. That is a real factor because, as you said, with the soldiers out on the frontier in the Soviet time, and I imagine it's still like this in the various armies as well, when you get stationed off somewhere, you hope to God somebody brought mm-hmm. weed, I imagine. <laughs> like, like, come on, let's be honest. Soldiers especially have always used various substances. The American soldiers in Vietnam is a perfect example. I imagine they're smoking weed in the Korean War as well. Part of being a soldier, because sometimes it's, it's just like boring a lot of the time, right? So it's just something to pass the time. Smoke a little weed and play some cards, right? But when it's like in your face, usually in like an urban setting, that's when it goes underground, right? So in Canada, the population that is criminalized for 
small-scale drug possession or small-scale dealing uh, or trafficking. That's the indigenous populations, the First Nations populations, right? It's a shame, really, because I feel very closely connected to your First Nations population because Mm -hmm. they're kind of like my people. Hey, I was conquered by the Germanics and the German people and everything, and we were colonized, yeah, and and the brutal served them, and... And that is why I can relate to their long houses and their, their traditions, because, you know, we're, we're kind of like them, except now we have our own westernized country. At least that's how I view it personally. And that is why when I see that, you know, the natives, the First Nations are getting oppressed more, I think, well, that could have happened to us too. And that did happen to us in the Soviet era. It's interesting that you see or you feel affinity with their culture and their experience. And one of the jumping off points was encountering their art. And being born and bred in B.C., like Coast Salish and Haida is like very near and dear to us. So it's when I was living in Ottawa for many years. I now have a tie of Haida Nation because I respect them. And I went there from my tribe and I thought that I must support their tribe. It was really a different experience for me who feels like a tribal person. It is. Go and see what the Haida people have done. Yeah, for me, it meant a lot. I felt like I connected with this in some sort of special way. Absolutely. And so for me, it's a place thing, like because I'm from this place and this is their place, right? So when I was at UBC, uh, the University of British Columbia, it's in Vancouver, in the anthropology department, before any sort of talk was given, there was always an acknowledgement of the Musqueam people whose unceded land uh, UBC sits on, right? Um, so there's always indications in the Museum of Anthropology at UBC is anybody who's visiting Vancouver should go make a special trip to that. I will say the totem poles is interesting. That's not a long-standing tradition amongst the Coast Salish and the Haida. I like the orcas, though, because I hadn't seen orcas, because obviously we in Lafayette don't have orcas in any of our tribal stuff, right? Did you know orcas are actually dolphins? I know, yeah, but when I saw this... You knew that? Dude, I just found that out like three weeks ago in one of my kids' picture books. <laughs> uh, no, I, like, I know really? orcas are actually dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I hang out with hardcore scientists, man. I have my best buddy who basically creates models of human brain and computers just so they could be studied. He's a genius. Uh, you need to hang out with a better class of people, as my dad would say to you that. Um, I hang out with the best class of people. I hang out with total degenerates. Utter and total degenerates. Best people are there. Yeah, the best degenerates. I'll say one thing on the totem pole point. Totem poles are not a long-standing... Uh, cultural practice amongst these people. What really makes this mean a lot to me is that I've been to both well, like West Coast and, and Canada and the attitude's kind of similar, but with drugs, it's, it's different. People are afraid of it. It must be starkly different because I, I just imagined it was super conservative in that part of the world where you're from, like Eastern Europe, Russia. Sorry, I got to ask then, like, let me ask you a couple of questions because I'm curious. Um, yeah, sure. What's like a 420 celebration or is there any sort of activism that goes around? Oh, that's Hitler's birthday. No one celebrates that. Yeah, I know. I, I throw that out to um, some of these lefty uh, liberal hippies that I associate with. And they, they're just like, oh, no, like, it really bothers them. But like, is there any sort of like activism? So we around? are no fans of, you know, either totalitarian system, because over here in Latvia, Hitler and Stalin are kind of the same thing in the terms of evil. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you need to make that case to me, buddy. Uh, no, I mean, just in general, like, is there any sort of effort to lessen the laws or like? Yeah, I am. I am actually doing one. 
Really? I'm on the fucking prime lines of this because seriously. Yeah, I'm gonna make a protest action. I'm gonna move something great because after I saw how it was like in, in Vancouver, like mm. when you had like those farmer markets with weed. Holy shit, man! It was great. It was like amazing. Mm. It's like there's a lot of things that I that we have to learn from you guys in Canada. You do things well and and, and in so many ways. Except your beer could be like fucking cheaper because oh my god, it's so expensive, dude. I it just is. mentioned that on our most recent fucking episode. Weed, weed five dollars beer, five dollars a can for a tall boy, which is like five hundred milliliters, and it's like fancy beer, but it's not like that would cost about one dollar here in Canadian dollars. Bro, it's brewed in like Delta. Like anyone who's from this area, it's like a one hour ferry ride away. It's the closest thing ever. And it cost me five dollars a can because of the taxes and anyway, don't go oh, get me pissed off about that again. I don't know. I don't know. I will appear back in Canada at some point and I hope that though I'll bring beer. Hey? Bring beer. Don't bring clothes. I'll just give you some clothes when you get here, but just Pack your bag full of beer and just bring that. <laughs> I can do that in my checked baggage, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I can actually do that. I, I had my like bag of clothes left there, and then part of the issue why I, why I don't have more shoes right now. Norwegian Air apparently does not give you a free checked baggage or give you a free lunch on the airplane if you're doing long hauls. You're just awful. Yeah, they cut all that stuff out of air travel now, eh? Like... I remember first time I took a plane was in like 1996 or something. It was like a full on like uh, gross tasting lunch. Like there was a lot of stand up comedians who made a good living on airline food jokes. Now it's just like, you want a bag of peanuts? Fuck you. It's like, okay, okay. Sit down and shut up, sir. Sir. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Okay. We went off a bit too long or something. So we got to wrap this up. But yeah. Drug laws are weird. Drug laws will stay weird because, you know, a lot of people are not just ready to accept things as they come. But yeah, if you have something to, to tell to your Canadian listeners, uh, to my Canadian listeners, that why should I listen to you, please go on. And then we can, like, okay. wrap this up nicely. Because, well, my comrades now know that, you know, how drug policies go and what's going on. But yeah, please, if you have any final words, feel free. All right. Uh... So if you enjoyed the randomness of that conversation, then you'll enjoy Nooks and Crannies. The podcast is exactly like that. So go check out Nooks and Crannies. It was really nice talking to you. And, and we had a really great conversation. And um, well, yeah, listen to Nooks and Crannies, guys. Listen to Nooks and Crannies. And also, please, please, at this given moment, I really need your Patreon support and your PayPal donations. Holy shit. Uh, check out my Facebook for the status updates. But please help me out. Listen to Nooks and Crannies. And uh, до свидания, товарищ. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the Western Border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.